Hello and welcome to another podcast from the Institute for Pentecostal Theology at Regents Theological College. I'm uh, Dr. Jonathan Black and I'm here with my colleagues Dr. Simo Frestarios and uh, Jenny Kimball um, and we are all lecturers here at Regents. We're all involved in the work of the Institute um, but we've all also been involved and are involved in um, local church ministry and today we want to talk about uh, reading and reading in the life of pastors and church leaders and how reading the different ways that reading can be beneficial to us in our church ministry um, so hopefully we're going to talk a little bit from our experience um, and both our reading experience and our ministry experience today um, but before we do that let's just pray for the conversation we're going to have Lord, uh, I thank you that you're with us as we speak, and I pray that mm -hmm. you would be guiding us um, so that what we speak about today would be helpful to those who are listening, uh, and Lord, um, that you would be inspiring people to um, to dig deeper into, the, into their knowledge of you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Jenny. <clears throat> Jenny, you have been involved in ministry in local church and in chaplaincy. You're the assistant track leader of our church leadership track here at college. You're also responsible for the ministry foundation certificate. Um, so you've got a lot of experience in, uh, in practical ministry as well as in, uh, in, in theological life of the college. Um, so what sort of types of things do you think people in ministry are reading. Thanks Jonathan, great to be here with you guys this afternoon. Um, as you said, I've, I've been involved in church leadership for a number of years now and what often happens when ministers get together um, and conversations, emails all together is, is talk about the latest book that mm -hmm. we're reading or you all need to get this book, this is the new one that's come out and, um, and then these books tend to do the rounds and often they're very very helpful and and what can happen is, is you then feel the pressure to, to be the person who finds the next new book with the next thing, whether that's um, for personal spiritual formation, um, for church leadership and, and ministry in terms of new models or methods. And, and so there's, there's often this, this, this drive and desire to, to be the one who's reading the, the next new published book that's come out. And um, my perception over the years is that people tend to fall into that category of what can I find to help me in the issues I'm facing here and now that's been written by people who are in a very similar setting to me, um, who understand the types of things I'm going through in my context. And that's often very helpful because people, we feel we need to have that, um, that sort of sense of identification with, okay, that they get the situation that I'm in. Um, but actually we can miss out on the, the discussions, the debates that have happened over the almost 2000 years history within the church. And, I came across um, a quote a couple of months ago, which, which really summed this up. Uh, this is from Matthew Barrett, who's a contemporary theologian. And um, he wrote in this blog post that too many issues in both scholarly and popular circles are being debated as if the church had never thought about them. We're missing something foundational if we don't engage with the classic texts. And for those of us who teach, ensuring our students do so. Um, and I think that spoke to me particularly because I, like you and, and Simo, are 
involved in speaking to to students and so in the, the course that I'm involved with, particularly students who are looking to go into church leadership and ministry. And there is a challenge when we're bouncing from, from one book to another and not necessarily thinking through, well, how has the church dealt with these issues? As, as we often think about, there's nothing new under the sun, but we, we sometimes approach books as if that's the first writer who's really thought about and got the answer on this. And so I've, I've challenged myself over the last couple of years to um, to read some of the, the, the older books and these, these classic texts that Matthew Barrett refers to, uh, because otherwise we we are acting as if the only book that we needed to read prior to anything that's been written in the last two, three years was the Bible. Obviously, there's been a huge amount of um, of scholarship and writing over that time that can really speak into us as um, church leaders and, and ministers. And so engaging with those things can, can not just help us practically, but help us to get to grips with who who are we really trusting in in terms of faith? Is it the American church leader who's found the secret for growing a church? Or is it really understanding who God is, who Jesus is to us as our, our saviour and the head of the church and, and basing our, our practice and our thinking on that as foundational? So mm. what have you found? Because you've been involved in... So, Jenny, you've been involved in local church ministry chaplaincy. Similarly, you've been involved in, in church planting and youth ministry, um, uh, so it's slightly different aspect of church life. What, what, what's yeah. your perception? Yeah, I mean, I think just really to echo what, what Jenny has been saying, I think particularly in youth ministry, um, I've not been recently actively involved in that, but for a number of years I, I was as a teenager and then in my early 20s. Um, yeah, I think particularly in youth culture, often we're always after the next new thing, what's, what's happening. I think for me it was particularly informative when I first started teaching Christian apologetics and that would have been kind of the year 2010 and of course in, in that time the whole idea of new atheism was kind of really hot you know with your Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens and and others and it was very interesting for me once I started doing a bit of reading as I was teaching the modules as you often do you're kind of one step ahead of your students when you first teach a module I was just really surprised that when I kind of looked into some of the old kind of classic works from the 19th century or 20th century that actually the so-called do atheists there was actually nothing really new in what they were saying it was just repackaged in a in a new way and and i think the same is true in, and yet those were the arguments that i heard with the young people making and saying yet they were just old arguments in perhaps slightly new clothes and uh, and i think the same is true of, of christian theology and christian issues or even christian leadership and in some ways, I think it, it could be quite encouraging to look back into the old sources because you sort of discover that, hey, hang on a second. As Jenny said, the church has been thinking about these things and the church has responded to them over the years and the church has survived some of these criticisms and issues. But at the same time, it could be slightly depressing <laughs> reading some of the old because you realize that the church has been faced with these same issues 200, 300, 1,000 years ago, and we still seem to be faced with them. <laughs> so, so it kind of works, works both ways. But I suppose in those times, you just trust God that, God, you are the first and the last, and, and, yeah, and, and you are faithful, even if we seem to wrestle with the same issues mm. throughout different times. Yeah, um, I suppose with that, issue of it's so easy to read the latest books all the time that I know we as lecturers are always bombarded with emails and book catalogues and things of the latest publications and uh, 
I know in church life it's similar that um, that there's always so many new things to read that we can't keep up with, um, uh, and so it can be the temptation always to focus on the new. And I suppose sometimes maybe we think that older things are a little bit more difficult to read, um, uh, maybe in terms of style and layout from what we're used to. But um, uh, do you think it's worth the effort then to, to go back to such old books? Absolutely. I think there's there's so much to be gained and, and learned from even just the process of, of unpicking what did this phrase mean mm -hmm. in this time and, and how that's developed. Um, you know, if, if we think about many of the phrases that we use in, in um, ministry and, and leadership, that they have changed meaning significantly um, over the years. And even, even within the Bible, we see that different terms are used differently by different writers. And um, I think everything, and we as theology lecturers would always want to make the point that there's no book that we should be spending more time with than the Bible. And I think when we um, talk about engaging with theological texts and other works, we would all, particularly as, as evangelical Pentecostal Christians, want to make the point that, that the Bible is our ultimate authority and it's the only book which is God's word and living and active. And so everything that we read, everything we think and do needs to be filtered through that as, um, as a test in terms of whether it is valuable or not. Um, and I think one of the things that we, we sometimes wrestle with is, as you mentioned, Jonathan, that, that sense that sometimes books can be outdated. But actually, if we don't understand where we've come from and how um, where we're at now, how, how that's developed, how that journey has happened, we can actually make huge assumptions about some of the things that we do now. And surely it's always been this way. And actually, there might have been um, a very uh, practical or perhaps even a reactionary reason why we're doing things the way that we are. And um, unless we understand that, we're not going to appreciate where we are right now. But, um, but again, there is inherent worth, I think, in understanding how different men and women, and usually it's been men throughout the history of the church, um, although there are good texts, obviously, by women as well, um, how people have engaged with life and ministry uh, in the light of knowing Jesus Christ. And, and that has so much um, poignancy, I think. And, and sometimes we're so familiar with the Bible text that there's not always that sense of, of awe and wonder. And we read something from a theologian from 200, 500, 1500 years ago who, who captures something in a way that we've perhaps not read it before, that can really open up our understanding of, mm -hmm. of the Bible as our source and primary text in a way that perhaps it hasn't previously. Yeah, that's something that I, I find really valuable in all books, that just, uh, I suppose, peeling away some of our cultural assumptions that we come to the text with, that, mm -hmm. uh, that we've always heard it this way, so we assume that it's obvious to everyone, and then we read someone from another culture and another century, and we say, oh, actually, it's not, that's not quite so obvious as we think it is, and why have we not looked at it that way before? Um, uh, also, things I really enjoy about reading uh, old books. Um, I've got an old book in front of me. It's Athanasius on the Incarnation, um, which is a great book, um, but it also has a great introduction written by C.S. Lewis, and, uh, and in it, he talks about reading old books, and one of the things he says is that it's a good rule after reading a new book, never allow to allow yourself another new one till you've read an old one in between. And if that's too much for you, you should at least read one old one to every three new ones. So do you think that's helpful advice for us today? 
yeah, I think it's good good advice. Whether I had, I don't think I adhere to it, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> but um, certainly, I think it didn't happen this summer. What I've been trying to do over the summer is when I have a maybe a bit more time in not having to focus on kind of just reading or research based on my kind of um, teaching or my, my, my theological research. I do try to, in the summer times, at least to read one kind of so-called classic, whether it's in philosophy or theology. And, um, and even if you don't follow his rule exactly, I think the idea of, of reading all books regularly, I think, is, is very helpful. And I would very much encourage all of us, including myself, to, to do more of that. And maybe not just um, reading old books, but also, and this is something I'm also not so good at, but I'm trying to work, but also read from different disciplines. Mm -hmm. So I know church leaders often would read church leadership kind of books, as, as Jenny mentioned at the beginning. But, um, but maybe not just read those kind of books, but maybe theological works, biblical studies work. But, but even in other disciplines, you know, scientific books, or, you know, in terms of nat the natural sciences, biology, or chemistry, not necessarily in a, in a kind of a very advanced way, but, you know, but also to explore books and read books in a multidisciplinary way to use, to use that word. Um, I think that, again, it just illuminates and it broadens our horizons. Jenny, what have you found in terms of, because I know you have been reading older books, I see some older books in front of you that you've brought along to recommend later on. Um, uh, so what have you found helpful in that regard? I think um, going back to that introduction by C.S. Lewis, one of the other things that he, he says in there, which I found a really, really helpful perspective and, and helpful illustration. And he writes, if you join at 11 o'clock a conversation which began at eight, you will often not see the real bearing of what's said. Remarks which seem to you very ordinary will produce laughter or irritation and you will not say why. The reason, of course, being that the earlier stages of the conversation have given them a special point. And I think sometimes when we're dealing with new books, we can sometimes look at that as, as a standalone document, and sometimes they are, but often the person who's written that book may well themselves have read a lot of old books, and, and we're not always up to speed with um, the conversation that's happening, even in terms of, of, of one specific book. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, our, our vice principal in Devotions yesterday referred to um, the Reformation, and a, a number of our students won't necessarily have um, yet had teaching on what that means and why that's significant. And so if we don't understand some of the things that have been discussed and taught earlier on throughout Christian history, then um, we're, we're not in a position to really appreciate where we're at now and, and the theological significance of where we're at now. And I think, as I said earlier, my I've been challenged personally because I would not say up until the last couple of years that I've particularly invested in the reading of old books. and. Um, and that's partly because I, I remember at school having, being quite interested in history and then one academic year having um, a teacher who just made history really boring and that put me off history moving forwards. And, and it wasn't until I was in a church setting where there were uh, some sort of historical issues in terms of the way the church had been set up and um, sort of things that meant that there were processes that happened in certain ways. And it wasn't until that point in a very practical situation that I really appreciated how significant the, the history of, um, in that case, a, a local church was. But um, in terms of us approaching theology, how significant the, the 2000 years are that we have of, of, of books and 
and particularly those books have survived. So there will have been swathes of things written in, in those 2000 years, which, which we haven't got. And for a book to have stood the test of time in our day and age, even for 10 years is quite something. So for things to have lasted um, centuries or at least a millennia is, um, is, is significant. And that means that they are of worth and value and have been seen so uh, throughout the history of the church. Mm-hmm. I really like that it says this is in there about how um, people like to read devotional books and he said there's actually there can be as much devotion in working through a difficult piece of theology in an old book mm. with a pencil in your hand and a pipe between your teeth <laughs> and uh, what is Pentecostals <laughs> we may not go for the pipe between our teeth that just I think there I find that in my own life that um, that thinking through um, hard issues and hard questions and thinking through these things in perspectives that I haven't seen before, that that is the sort of thing that causes me to see more of the wonder and the glory of Jesus. Um, and, uh, um, and other times I read some of these old books, sometimes it's, it's that, sometimes it's the hard working fruit. Other times I think, well, this sounds like a, this sounds like an old Pentecostal preacher when I read the, the church fathers sometimes that I realise, although we're separated by so many centuries, that sometimes there's just so much, well, not just sometimes, but there is so much we have in common mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. the cultures and across the ages. Um, and, and we can still be led into that, that devotional reading, even when we're reading the, these maybe more challenging bits of theology. Yeah. And I think just on that, Jonathan, I think that is, I think, one of the reasons why in the history of the church, reading has often been seen as a spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, particularly with theological reading, because of the insights that it can give to us and the revelation that can emerge you know about God but also I think just the concept of reading when we are reading to speak metaphorically we are all ears (laughs) in a sense we have to be listening what the text is saying that is listening I suppose through our eyes or sometimes we might read out loud and I think particularly for Christian leaders whether in a church context or in in a theological seminary context so often we are speaking and talking but kind of reading forces us to just to listen uh, and I think that's why it's a very helpful discipline, mm-hmm. generically, uh, and of course, particularly when you read theological works. Yeah, that, that's really interesting, that, just that thought about we're all ears, because um, thinking of some, some of the people that I've already benefited from reading in the past, that have sort of emphasised the importance of the ear as the most important organ for the Christians, so Luther made a big deal about how um, that the ear is the most important organ for the Christian because faith comes by hearing that by what we take in from the outside that it's um, and uh, I suppose Martin Lloyd-Jones made a similar point he talked about how mm-hmm. our problem very often as Christians is we speak too much to ourselves and don't hear enough um, the good news of who God is and what he's done for us um, and uh, and yes that, that comes across in reading as a spiritual discipline about that, that's really, a really helpful thought of that. Mm. As, uh, yeah, we might not always associate ears with reading, but uh, mm-hmm. but in this way, it really is. And I think that sense of discipline is is probably a helpful word to use because we do have to be intentional about that. You don't accidentally read a book. You might hear something as you're walking along in in a shop. The, the music's there, and you you can't um, sort of absent yourself from from being present in that moment with music blaring. Um, but reading is is an active pursuit. And one of the things that just on a practical level, I've, I've tried to do a little more is make sure that when I'm out and about, 
I've always got a book in my handbag now mm. because there are sometimes those mm. moments where you would just end up scrolling through Twitter on your smartphone or catching up on the day's news. Um, and, and those are really precious moments because we, we do spend so much time just filling our, in this case, ears with, um, with just other noise. And mm. I think one of the challenges for church leaders in particular is because we live in a, a 24-7 digital culture now, pastors are always accessible via email, mm. via text. And so it, it's very challenging for church leaders um, was to be able to, to carve out that, that time to read. And one of the things that my um, my senior pastor when I was a minister in training as an assistant pastor said is, is you need to make sure that you physically take yourself away sometimes. Um, and that's easier said than done for, for different people with different responsibilities. And um, one of the things I've I've tried to do, and again, I haven't always managed to, but is to be intentional with obviously making time to, to read the Bible and, and pray um, and commune with God in terms of that that personal relationship, but also that time to, to, to be reading because it, it doesn't just happen to you. Yeah. You have to be an active participant yeah. in that process. Well, let's get practical. Um because we've talked about the value of reading and <clears throat> reading is spiritual discipline and, and, and why, why it's a good thing to be pursuing and carving mm -hmm. out that time to do. But what about um, some examples of how we have benefited um, in ministry and life from, from reading theological books or reading older books and um, either one or the other. Does, so does anyone have any uh, examples that spring to mind of something that's been quite helpful in ministry or life? Uh, one of the books I read recently, which um, I hadn't come across until a number of months ago, is the Book of Pastoral Rule by Gregory the Great. And yeah, probably to, to many, and I think I, I approached it with a sense of, I wonder how relevant this will be to our 21st century context. And that's often, I think, a, a filter that we, we have to bear in mind when we're approaching anything old, whether that's a, a book, a recording, um, that we will have a filter on through which we, we view everything. Um, but actually, so much of the, the content is still completely relevant to um, a 21st century British church where it's talking about the different ways in which we um, engage with different people and how much time to give to a difficult person and how much time to make sure you um, spend in solitude, all these types of things that um, his context would have looked different, but the, the underlying principles are still so true and relevant today. And um, one of the areas that we, we talk about regularly in, in church leadership discussions is, um, is, is managing communication and managing relationships, and especially with um, what we might label difficult people in church. And, and that book in particular speaks so clearly into that and that's that's one that I will be speaking from and, and recommending that students read when we do a preparation for leadership and ministry module because um, it's not just what's been published this century that, that will be helpful but how have people throughout the ages uh, dealt with difficult people because um, they have been around since the beginning <laughs> of time. <laughs> Yeah, I think the book of Pastor is so helpful just saying what is sort of like of the essence of what we do as ministers <laughs> that what is what hasn't changed over time and, and 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 getting us away from some of the distractions when because I suppose in, in the Pentecostal and charismatic circles it's easy for us let's say um, be distracted by the the latest thing. Um, 
because we want to see what God's doing right now. But uh, but uh, but that's a really helpful book in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, in terms of an old older book, um, Place Pascal's Pensee or Thoughts, mm -hmm. uh, which was never finished. He died before before he managed to finish. So it's kind of fragments of his work. But I think in a although we just talked about intentionally spending quality time reading, but I think in a Twitter culture particularly, it's it's a great book. Just the one line as it comes up with I mean, some of the stuff because it's not a finished book, you know, they're kind of in fragments. But if you want some great one liners, uh, that's definitely the, the book, the book to read. But also there's, there's, a, there's a real depth, um, you know, he's a, he was, a, he was a, a genius, but an, a man of deep spirituality and encounter with God that he had had. And um, yes, I would I, I, that's often been often blessed me and I've often gone back to it and and reflected on some of the things that um, Pascal says. Yeah, um, so sorry, one of the um, older things that I found really helpful in ministry is um, Martin Luther's Heidelberg Disputation, where he talks about the theology of glory and the theology of the cross, um, and uh, our temptation to look at the spectacular things that are happening and assuming that that's where God's at work, um, and, and missing seeing God in the pain and the suffering of yes. life, um, I think. Just so often in pastoral ministry, when when there are situations where people are suffering, or mm -hmm. when there mm -hmm. are, you know, when when church life doesn't go the way everyone expects, according mm -hmm. to the latest mm -hmm. vision statement or whatever, um, that, um, that that constant reminder that this is not a sign of God's abandonment, but actually God is with us in His grace. Um, uh, in in those time in in our difficulties and in our um um so i think again and again in pastoral ministry that i can't come back to i think in very difficult times sometimes that was a, that was a thing that helped me keep going <laughs> um <laughs> that realization that okay things might not look glorious now but that doesn't mean that god's not here um, um yeah So what would you guys say in terms of our more recent books? Um, what, what have you found helpful? What would be in your, in your top five, top three? One of the most recent books, only been published last week, I've just read in the last fortnight, um, but by Karen Spikers-Tatina, written the tradition of how to read the Bible for all it's worth, which a number of people over the years have found a really helpful way of engaging with the Bible. Um, and this book, How to Read Theology for All It's Worth, um, follows a similar style in helping people to understand different types of theological works, um, different ways in which they've been written over the history of the church, and just really get to grips with actually theology and, and theological reading is something to be benefited from. And so it's one we're going to be recommending to, to all our students. And in terms of a, a work of theology itself, None Greater by Matthew Barrett is one that we read in our Regents Book Club last year, and really, really helpful in terms of unpacking uh, the the attributes of God, so what it means for for God to be who He is and and why He's wholly different from us in that regard, and that was fascinating to go through both as a, a work of theology, but then for us as a book club in in discussion with students mm. on that, which was really fruitful, um, and it was down to ninety nine p and tweeted about. So our director of ministry within Elam picked that up and and read it and, and found it so helpful and engaging 
that he's actually put it on the, the recommended reading list for all the ministers in training within Elam, which is really encouraging and exciting and encouraging for us that theology and theology reading isn't just being seen as something as the preserve of, of those who teach in theological institutions like ourselves, but is important for uh, life and ministry and those training to be ministers in local churches. Yeah, I would really um, second that recommendation of Nam Greater over Matthew Barrett, um, that, uh, as Jay said, we did it in the book club. Um, um, I think it was some of those sessions when we were reading Nam Greater that it was amazing to see just some students getting so excited about things <laughs> like the attribute to God and just uh, the realization of uh, of um, of just the, how how much greater <laughs> God is than us. Um, so um, I really highly recommend that book. And moving forward, he's got a new one coming out on the Trinity later on this year. Um, um, uh, but different, another book that puts our focus on God that I would really recommend is Michael Reeves, The Good God, which is a book about God as the Trinity. So if you think of the Trinity as a philosophical or a mathematical problem, um, Mike Reeves will set you right in the good God and, and, and just opens up um, to help us see how the, the God's identity as the triune God is so related to the gospel and, uh, and just it's a book that will make you want to worship God um, uh, as you read it. Um, uh, um, I think um, Another book that was really helpful to me very early in, when I was a trading pastor was The Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahoney, which is a tiny book, um, but um, just shows really the centrality of the cross, because I suppose it's so easy for us to think of, we, we think of so many different questions in theology and uh, so many different things we can be giving our attention to, but just like the centrality in Christian life and in our worship and in our service and in everything we do of the cross um, and for uh, a bigger book which i highly recommend on the cross uh, would be john stott's the cross of christ um and so i think you said three or five so <laughs> throw in a fifth one in fact i'll throw in uh, a choice from a fifth one if you want to if you want a real challenge but isn't it the challenge you think it is um i don't remember calvin's institute lots of people say oh calvin um, um <laughs> but actually as a as a big book of theology to work through that's actually very devotional in many parts mm. um, and will make you think in different ways and will probably surprise you in being not what you expect when you hear the word Galvin. Um, that if that's a really good place to go for a challenge of a big theology book to read, um, which uh, which again is a lot more readable than many people think. Um, or my option or alternative is um, another book um, that's from, I think it was written in the, 50s or 60s by a Swedish Lutheran bishop, Pierre Olof Schongren, uh, called The Jesus Prayer. It's a book about prayer, and uh, it's really odd because he's a Swedish Lutheran, he's writing about some ancient types of prayer in the, old, in the early church, and whenever you combine, apparently whenever you combine Swedish Lutherans with early Christians, <laughs> you get something that sounds very much like Pentecostalism. <laughs> uh, it's just a wonderful book on, if, if if, if, you're, if you'd like to think more about prayer or if you're finding prayer a struggle, I think it's a really helpful book. Mm -hmm. you yeah, I think this is one of those things that I enjoy asking the question, but I don't like answering because I find it so <laughs> difficult to, um, you know, just to narrow down a few books. But I think 
for me, it's often been different books have been helpful at different times in my life mm -hmm. uh, on different topics and different contexts. But um, but just to to note a few authors or, or books that have been significant for me. Eugene Peterson is, a, is an author that I've often found very insightful and, and spiritually nourishing and encouraging. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people know Eugene Peterson for the message, uh, which, which, which is fine and it's good in many ways, but I think some of his, his actually the books that he's written are very yeah. insightful. So for example, you know, his series on spiritual theology. So if you read a book, if you want a good book on kind of how to read the Bible devotionally and spiritually, his book, Eat This Book, is, I think is, is very insightful. Uh, and in some ways, you know, a lot of people have followed some of his insights since then. Um, another author that I've always found, you know, good is Miroslav Volf. And I think his book, Exclusion and Embrace, written in kind of the mid-90s, again, I think is a, is, a, is a good book, particularly in the world that we live where often things are very polarized and we can be quite antagonistic politically and and socially. I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good theological reflection on what it means to forgive and to reconcile uh, and to repent, you know, not just individually, but in a broader context as well. Um, you've talked about um, the, the nature of God and the Trinity. Um, John C. Zula's being as communion, as a, as, a, as a master's student, I found that actually spiritually very nourishing mm -hmm. and just making sense of God and, and what it means to be the church, what it means to be a, a human being. I think I would recommend that. And more of a philosophical work, um, but also again, theologically very illuminating would be Alvin Plantinga's warranted Christian belief. Again, it's not, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's not an easy read as such, but it's a, it's a very good read. Uh, 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 this, this is the life so that you can tell us the word that you're most famous or in college for. So. <laughs> yeah, it's an epistemology of theory of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I hope you've found some of that useful. Um, uh, and I hope we can encourage you It's in, in your reading. Um, uh, we'll put up, um, we'll put together a list of some of those recommendations and some links for you and we'll put it along with the podcast. So if you want to find any of those things um, to make it helpful for you. Um, but there is one other point just before we go uh, that uh, Jenny reminded me of yesterday when we were talking that um, um, that uh, um, Jenny, let me just ask you this is a question. <laughs> so Jenny, is there such a thing as a Christian book that every Christian should read? Um, I guess, first of all, as we explained earlier, we, we would all have the obvious answer, the Bible. Um, and really, that's probably the only hmm. book that um, that we would say is the must read in terms of time we spend. And it was um, a tweet I saw by Matthew Mason um, just a few days ago, he said, there's there's no such thing as a book that all Christians should mm. read. Um, and if there is, it probably wasn't written in the last century. And I thought <laughs> that was um, that was a very apposite point because, I mean, as, as Simo said, there are books that we read in specific seasons of our life or yeah. um, particular areas that we're operating in that are really powerful and, and pertinent to us. But that might not be as relevant yeah. to someone in another nation operating in a completely different context. And so I think we need to be a little wary whenever we hear the phrase, everyone should read this book. Um, so that, that's quite a value statement. And it may well be that there are a number of people who should read that book. Yeah. Um, but we need to be careful about ascribing 
uh, that kind of level of, of importance to a work by a non-human author. <laughs> I suppose that takes us back to where we began really with where we can be bombarded so often with, oh, here's the latest book that you must all be reading, mm -hmm. realising actually, maybe we do have a bit more time to explore some of these older books because maybe the latest book that everyone uh, is reading isn't the right book for me to be reading mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, uh, well, I hope, uh, I hope that's been of some help to you today. We will be back next month with another exciting topic. <laughs> um, uh, so we look forward to, um, to speaking with you then.